Hi, my name is Dawn Long. And I'm Stephen Long. We started this podcast to share our story and to share the broken path that many parents have taken when their son or daughter are incarcerated. These are the raw, naked truths that need to be told. This story is about loving your partner through the tough times in the relationships from couples that we are walking the path with and support from coaches and therapists. For the broken, this is for the healing and redemption of a journey that helped us find the broken path. Welcome everyone to another episode of Loving Through the Broken Path podcast. And today our guest is Amanda Acker and she comes from a past of drug abuse, homelessness, and being a formerly incarcerated person. Amanda has broken through and was able to let the good things into her life. Amanda is now on a mission to inspire and motivate people just like you, people who have had a difficult past and haven't yet realized that they are stronger than they think. It can have the life that they want and then deserve. Amanda wants to help you rise above the labels of society and burst through the ceilings that you have put on top of yourself. Amanda's core message is that we are stronger than we think and can have the life we imagine regardless of our past. Amanda is also the host of Let the Good Things In Show. Amanda, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here, Dawn. Oh, man. There's so much. I think if we really wanted to, we could probably make this a two-hour plus episode (laughs) and and not start running out of things. And um, I was viewing your uh, podcast. I haven't listened to it yet. So I'm going to go back and start listening to a couple episodes. But let's really start diving into. I always ask my guests, what got you started doing what you're doing? But I want to put a little bit of different spin on yours. Because you came from a past that a lot of us parents are dealing with. A lot of my listeners are dealing with people that have loved ones that are incarcerated and a lot of them are incarcerated because of drug abuse, because of choices that have happened in their life. So let's start back when you noticed that you weren't really going on the path that you thought you were going to go on. Yeah. So, you know, when I was growing up, I always wanted to be a school teacher. I was a straight A student. I, you know, I didn't have many friends. It was kind of like, not necessarily, I didn't get made fun of or anything really. Um, But it was, I was just very quiet and reserved. Um, And when I was 15, my whole life changed. My parents divorced. My best friend, AKA my mother, you know, kind of just jumped ship. And I didn't have like this close bond with my father. Still don't to this day. And so when I was thrown into that, you know, that's where like my idea of, for some reason, I didn't deserve love. That's kind of where it started. I could say it started before then, but I mean, that's really where it was set in stone that I was just wasn't deserving. And after that, you know, life kind of went on. Things were fine with me and my dad and mother and I reconciled. She's still a huge part of my life now. 
but I started hanging out with people who I thought were cool because I wanted to find my place. I felt very alone. I felt like, you know, I didn't really have friends, like I said. So I made really good friends with someone who I thought was the epitome of cool. I just thought she was the bee's knees <laughs> and I just followed in her footsteps. You know, we went to a nightclub, an under 21 club. I started being promiscuous. You know, I had a steady boyfriend, you know, but I was dancing with another guy and that kind of, but at that point I didn't really see it yet. It was college when I got to college, you know, that was my dream. I, like I said, I wanted to be a school teacher and but when I started college, which is really weird, I don't know if this is foreshadowing or not, but I majored in criminal justice. I did not start off majoring in secondary education. So yeah, it's just weird. Um, but while I was there, that's when I got introduced to a lot more than smoking weed and drinking. I was using benzodiazepines, which for anyone who doesn't know, those are anti-anxiety medications, especially clonopin. That was my drug of choice for many years. Um, and I overdosed in college. And when I overdosed the first time I did pills, um, if that's not wasn't foreshadowing, I don't know what was. But um, from that experience, I thought, you know, well, I almost died. So I need to take life on I need to get a grip, you know, and but I just didn't. And after I left college, and I failed out, that's when I realized my life is not this is not what I set out to do. And I was so ashamed of myself. And that shame was literally eating me alive. I can remember after I fell out, like when you fell out of college, you can't get grants. So you have to take out loans or pay cash for your education. Oh, no. And I was only 19. So I had no way of getting this massive loan that I was going to need to go back. So I called my dad and literally begged him to help me and he refused. So this narrative of I'm not good enough, I don't deserve love just continued into me just completely, I just gave up on myself. I didn't know who I was. I just kept being friends with these same types of people. The friend I made that we went to the nightclub with, she remained in my life. And things just kind of escalated from there. Um, there's a lot that transpired, but I don't want to, like you said, we would be here for a very long time. <laughs> so but that's where... I would say those are the major turning points that you know made me realize that this is not the life that I was meant to have, but it was the life that unfortunately I had to get through to get to be who I am today. So, yeah. And I think, and e even though a lot of people don't want to hear it and it's, it's interesting when we as human beings, because we are living a human experience and when we go through things that a lot of people maybe won't survive and we survived it. You survived that drug abuse. You survived being homeless. You survived being incarcerated. Yeah. And that's a lot of things. And each of those things by themselves can literally crumble a person if they're not strong enough, if you don't have that inner strength. And I'm going to preface this a little bit by saying that I'm not saying all people are weak. You are stronger than what you ever freaking know, but you're not going to know it until you get to that point to where you're completely and utterly broken 
And until you're to that completely and utterly broken point, you're not going to realize that. So I guess for me, for you to, as you're talking, as we're talking and we're talking to the parents and we're saying, what was your moment of going like, okay, now I'm doing drugs. How did you become homeless? So my first experience of homelessness, like I was homeless multiple times. Now, when I say homeless, I wasn't, I never slept on the streets, but I was always put. So when I came home from college, like I said, and I failed out, um, that was my first homeless experience because my dad was selling the house that I lived in and I was waking up to people in my strangers just walking around my house when I wasn't aware that the realtor was showing it or things like that. So I had no choice. Like I had nowhere to go. So I ended up moving in with an older man. Um, and that went very South very quickly. I ended up pregnant actually at that point and again, became homeless when I realized that this man was not who I thought he was and had to flee him. So I was homeless then. And I lived um, in a shelter that was for pregnant, young pregnant women. I was through an adoption agency here in Pittsburgh, and I did end up giving my firstborn up for adoption um, through that process. And, you know, the homelessness was just a side effect to everything I was doing. Like, I never really had a stable home from that point forward, you know, up until like late, way later. <laughs> you know, it's always yeah. just like, I know people would be like, oh, like, what's your address? Like, I never really had one. It was just wherever I ended up, whatever guy I was seeing, like I never or what shelter I was staying at at the time. You know, I kind of just navigated that way. I remember when I got out of jail, like that was I mean, I was homeless. I'm lucky I didn't end up on the streets um, when that transpired. But, you know, it was me trying to figure out, Okay, like I need somewhere to sleep. So instead of going and resorting to the streets, which unfortunately I know happens to so many of us in addiction, you know, I would resort to whatever man would give me a roof over my head for the time being, you know, or if I was fleeing a toxic relationship, it was a shelter, a domestic violence shelter. I stayed in domestic violence shelters, I'm going to say four times now total um, throughout my life. So, you know, that was my experience. And it was always, I was always just running from whatever I could, I had to find a way to numb my pain or to not necessarily even with substances. Like my addiction is way deeper than just using those substances. My addiction was to the chaos. It was to the people. It was to the places. It was to all the things that would keep me from thinking about what was actually going on, from doing that inner work that we all so desperately need to do, um, especially when you're going through traumatic experiences. But I chose, that was my choice you know, and I just kept doing it over and over and over again. Yeah. And I just want to commend you on the adoption piece, because I know as moms and as women in general, we are so judged by what we do and by what we don't do. And for you to have that strength to do that and have that capacity and that thought to do that is my hat is off to you. I hope that um, that a lot of people realize when they're listening to this, the strength that it actually took 
to do that. That was not something that's ever easy. No, it was not easy. That was, you know, you know, I've done it twice. Uh, I was also pregnant while I was incarcerated. Um, but my daughters are sisters. I gave them to the same family. Um, because in, in, you know, the first time I had, I chose to do that. It really like affected me to my core like that. I was 19. I was very young still when I did that for the first time. And that's what kind of catapulted me into this like darkness that I lived in for pretty much my whole life up until about three years ago. So it's, it was a very hard decision, but I know my daughters are safe. They're well taken care of. I have recent, more recent pictures of them. My oldest is about to be 18. So who knows? Maybe I'll get to meet oh, her one day. So, oh, yeah. That is awesome. So let's, let's start diving into a little bit on the incarcerated piece and especially being incarcerated while you're pregnant. I, that had to be rough. Yes, it was, you know, I was in jail. I was in county jail. I didn't go to prison. Luckily, luckily, I didn't go to prison. Um, but, you know, I remember like finding out I was pregnant. And when you're out on bail, like where I'm at, it takes like you get arrested and there's this whole year of your life where you have no clue like what's going to happen. You don't know if you're going to be in jail. You don't know, like you have no clue. Um, and so in that time frame, I was living a very dark lifestyle. I was stripping, I was using, I was just a complete mess. I was in and out of abusive relationships. And one of the clients at the club I was dancing at, um, we ended up together and I thought everything was great. Everything's fine. Um, but then I ended up pregnant and just things just weren't okay. Like I, I, I don't really know how to describe that relationship, but it was really toxic. Um, and so I found out I'm pregnant. And I remember shortly after that, like I got sentenced to, to one to two years in county with option for work release. And I wanted, I, my first reaction was, well, I'm, I would rather die. I was like, I'm going to kill myself because I can't, I don't want to be in jail for one to two years. That's a lot of time. Plus I had my son already. I did have my son, um, but he was still very little. Uh, but I remember thinking to myself, I can't end her life too. I refuse to end her life based on my choices that I've made. It's not her fault. She deserves a life. Whether I raise her or somebody else does, she deserves that life. So Going into jail while pregnant, mm, um, you know, I think being pregnant saved me, to be honest. I think that if I wouldn't have been pregnant, I may have fallen into some traps that otherwise, you know, I had no way I would have, I don't know, I think I would have fallen victim to a couple more things than um, I did because of my pregnancy. The women, you know, they like, they treated me differently, you know, um, they wanted me to be safe. They would, you know, get me snacks and you know, all these things that when you're a pregnant woman that happen on the outside happen on the inside too, you know, and, <laughs> but I had this option for work release and this is a very important part because you have to pee in a cup to, uh, to get work release so that they know you weren't using and I'm pregnant and I can't pee. 
So because I couldn't pee, I had to spend at least 30 days in main population. So in case I was using all the drugs to be out of my system at that point. Um, and that was really scary. Um, being in the actual county jail, like scared me more than anything. I was, I was, you know, asked to smuggle uh, tobacco into jail, which I did not do. Um, but, you know, these are the things that because that's but that's the culture when you're behind bars, you know, there's things that we have to do just to survive. Um, and sometimes it's illegal things that get brought in or but you don't want to upset anyone, right? You don't want to get on anyone's bad side. I mean, at least I know I didn't. I wanted to be like the star <laughs> inmate, you know, <laughs> so to speak. And, you know, but, you know, it was it was okay. I did not have to be uh, chained to the bed while I gave birth, which unfortunately I know happens to so many pregnant women. Um, but that was thanks to me being in the work release program. If I would have spent my whole sentence in county, I would have been handcuffed to the bed, um, which, you know, when I hear other women's stories who have given birth in jail and that was their experience, my heart just shatters for them because it was, even though it was really hard for me, I, I still think that would have been way worse, um, you know, because, you know, and then after I gave birth to her and gave her to the family, um, I got out three days later. I got out three days later after that. So I spent eight months in jail, whole time pregnant. Um, it sucks because when you're pregnant, what do you want to do? You want to eat all the time, right? You have to pee all the time. You, you know, there's all these things that happen in pregnancy that I didn't have access to. And I was broke. I didn't have a job because who's going to hire the incarcerated pregnant woman? Like nobody. Um, so, you know, I didn't have money. I was relying on other people to help me. And that didn't always pan out. Uh, I did get myself still being pregnant. I did get myself into some hairy scenarios, but you know, at the end of the day, I had the care I needed, but that's only thanks to being in work release. Cause I was able to go out and go to nor the normal doctor. I didn't have to stay and do the County jail doctor. I did experience the County jail doctor, which was awful. Um, it was, it was dirty. Um, jail is just not a safe place uh, for anyone who's pregnant, in my opinion, because of the, um, I don't know what the word is, not sanitary. I don't know if that's the right word, but, you know, just because of what, what, where you're at, you know, and you yeah. don't get access to the doctor of your choice. You don't get to choose, you know, I don't know if you get to choose what hospital even you give birth in. Like it's all those things are taken from you. Um, and I was fortunate enough to not have to go through the whole process that way, but I did experience it when I first started, uh, my incarceration. So, yeah. And I, yeah, you, you are lucky in that respect because there are some people that I've heard stories of that, you know, they've given birth in their cell by themselves. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, it, it is horrendous, but you got through that and you were on the lucky end of it yeah so what kind of support did you get from your family or did you or did you get any support from your family no um I did not I had no money coming in from anybody I had nobody like my mom would bring my son to see me but then she would not bring him so no I had nobody 
I mean, absolutely nobody, especially, I mean, my dad, like, no, there was no support for me. I was on my own completely the whole time. Yeah. And I think that's the roughest. I know with my son being in and I hear him talk about some of his soulmates that don't have the support that he has and doesn't have the family connection or, you know, the things that might make it a little bit easier yeah. being inside. And it just breaks my heart that people, because you're in a position that led from bad choices to begin with. Yeah. And then <clears throat> to not have the support of at least one person to say that I still care enough about you to talk to you, to take your calls, to do what, you know, do even the little things. And it's not necessarily just putting money on commissary. Yeah. Cause there's a lot of times that I didn't have the funds or don't have the funds to send him to put on commissary. And it breaks my heart that I don't, but he understands too. And he's going to like, no, he says, all I really need is just the basic stuff. And it still breaks my heart on some level because it's just like, I know that he's learning from his experience and I'm grateful that he's learning from his experience. But at the same time that I know when he comes home, he still has more obstacles that he has to get over yeah. in order to still have a life or have a successful life. And I don't have a, any doubt that he'll have a successful life when he comes home because his mindset has totally changed from the first day that he went in in April in 2017 to now. Wow. Yeah. You know, I will say that I would get jealous of the women who had support. Um, you know, I remember one time I was dating this guy, which was, I don't even know why, <laughs> but I asked him to get me a few things. Like I needed soap, I needed money to do laundry. Like just the, like you said, like the basic necessities. And he was promising me he was going to bring it to me. And when he did, it was like, not at all what I asked for. It was like little like samples of like certain things. There was no money. Like I literally couldn't do laundry. Like I had nothing. I remember doing laundry with, uh, this is where I learned the trick of doing laundry with shampoo. <laughs> so that's the thing you can, you can wash your clothes with shampoo. Um, <laughs> but you do what you can, you know, and I survived, but I remember seeing these women that would be getting like, um, you know, brand new clothes or, um, you know, the, their choice of shampoo is like all the time they'd have money. Like people actually were helping them and it would like make me be like, wow, like, I guess I, no one loves me. Like I don't, no one cares that I'm, you know, just here trying by myself with nothing and every, your rights, you know, you, you're not a free person. So it's not like I can just pick mm -hmm. up the phone and whenever I wanted and call someone and ask for, whatever it was I needed. I couldn't just walk out the doors and run to the convenience store to get toothpaste. Like there, it's just not, you can't do those things. And it was really hard to, to feel like I was completely alone. And then, you know, sometimes people would show up for me, but it wasn't consistent. It just, you know, it was a hit or miss, I guess. Yeah. So going through all of that and then doing what you're doing now, because I think it's an inspiration to be able to come out from 
what you've been through, what you've gone through to talking about it. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that. Let's talk about your mission because I think that's the important thing at the end of the day that when we are all going through and have loved ones that are incarcerated, that when they come home, that it's going to be okay. Yeah, it is going to be okay, you know, and I wish I would have found me now 13 years ago because I lived in a shameful state of mind. I was very ashamed of myself. I already didn't have any self-worth. Now I'm a, I'm a felon. So now I have even less self-worth than I did to start. And I just kept going down this dark path, uh, you know, toxic relationships drug use, drinking, whatever I could to just not deal with any of it. And I didn't feel like um, I had anybody to talk to about it. I always felt like even when I would go to therapy, I would like leave that part out. You know, that, I'm not going to say yeah. that, you know, then they'll judge me. And I lived that way. I would get jobs where I, they didn't ask, I didn't tell. So I would be going to work every single day wondering if they were going to find out and I was going to lose everything again. You know, I'm very used to losing everything. Uh, so now a couple, a few years ago, I hit my final rock bottom. I'm married to a wonderful man, but our beginning of our marriage was pretty hard. I was going through a breakup that was pretty intense. And I, I even told him when we committed to each other, I said, are, are you sure? Because I don't know how this is going to go. Cause I just got out of this relationship a few months ago, but, and I always tell him too, like when everything started blowing up in my face that I felt I was so sorry for bringing him into this, I should have waited, but there's a selfish side of me that was like, I can't though. Cause I don't want to be with anybody else, but that's not here in America. But, <laughs> um, but anyway, so I, you know, I almost destroyed my marriage. I had a, a decent job that I allowed. Um, I made choices that, you know, I was more concerned with my image. So I was like, I was drinking with my coworkers. I was using again. I was being, I was starting to talk to another man. Like I, I, I wasn't, I didn't cheat, but I was in my mind. I, I, I still think that I did. I shouldn't have been doing what I was doing and everything blew up in my face. Lost the job. Uh, found out that, you know, people I trusted, I shouldn't have, um, was a pushing my husband's love away as much as I could. So it was self-sabotaging. Um, and then I remember sitting in my closet one day, like shortly after that, and my husband's at work and by myself and I'm just crying my eyes out. And I'm like, why does this keep happening? Like, I don't understand why all these people keep hurting me. Like, why do I keep getting hurt? And I was going to end my life because I just, I couldn't handle the pain anymore. But something happened in that moment where I just felt like this warmth come over me and all of a sudden, like my tears started to stop and I thought, well, wait a second, like I didn't go through all this for nothing, right? Like, who am I? What is my purpose? Because I never took a time, the I never gave myself a chance. You know, even prior to this, I would always tell people, you know, people deserve a second chance, you know, as I always felt that way but I never even gave myself a first chance to get what I wanted out of life. So I asked for help. I went to my husband and I told him, you know, Hey, like I need to figure out who I am and I need to do this work. And so I just started, you know, talking to him more openly. We 
fix our marriage. We're still happily married. It's going on five years now. <laughs> so um, I've been clean since then. I haven't drank anything um, since then. I haven't uh, touched pills since then. Um, and, you know, I started to tell employers my truth. Um, and the first time I did, it was in an accounting job and I sent in my resume, which is the only jobs I would apply for. Because if they asked, I just said, oh, can't have that one on to the next. Um, so I send my resume in and I go to the interview and then they ask me to fill out this application. I'm like, oh, great. That question's going to be on there. And I can remember, like, I'll never forget sitting in this little office that they put me in sweats, just like pouring off me. I'm like, oh, like, I don't, I should just leave. Like, this isn't going to work. But lo and behold, they hear, they heard my story. I remember I'm sitting in this closed room with all men. Okay. So, and they asked the, the managing partner, he looked at me and he said, well, tell us what happened. And I told them my whole story and they still offered me that job. And no, I didn't end up taking that job because of other reasons, but that started me to believe, Oh, like not everyone, not every opportunity is off the table. Like I can have this, this criminal background and I can still have opportunities. So then I got my job. Now I'm a, I'm an office manager for a mental health outpatient practice. And she heard me out too. And I've been working there for two years. Um, and then I decided that I was sick and tired of hiding. I was sick and tired of, cause I can see all these amazing people in the world that are suffering like I did for so long. And I want them to know that it's okay. Number one, to not be okay. And number two, that they're not alone. Cause I felt alone for a very, very long time and not alone. Like I have my husband, you know, but I felt alone, like with my story, like nobody understands, you know, he's, he's never been to jail, you know, like he doesn't get that part of me to the extent that we could have like this open conversation about being a convicted felon, you know? And, um, so I entrusted someone in the online space and I told him my story just to test the waters before I <laughs> went public with everything. Um, and he looked at me and he said, Amanda, you have to tell your story. He's like, your story is going to inspire so many people. You don't even, you don't even realize it. And so I started to, and it's been an amazing experience. I launched my podcast last July of 2021. Um, and I've met some incredible people and it just keeps getting better because the more I dig in and research, like the people that I get to interview, the stories I get to hear, the books I get to read, like there's this book that anyone who's incarcerated or has been, there's a couple of them who's been incarcerated, they need to read it. This guy I'm interviewing wrote this book. Um, here, I'll tell you what it's called. I'll promote him. <laughs> it's I'm called fine uh, with that. <laughs> It's called Sparrow and the Razor Wire. Um, his name's Quan. I, I don't know how to say his last name and I feel really bad, but that he was incarcerated for 22 years. And this book right here, I just got done reading it. And let me tell you, like when I read this, no, I, he, he committed murder when he was very young. And I know that's not my charge, but my God, if I didn't relate to him, I felt every part of this story and it made me think again about ownership because we have to own what we did you know i have to stop playing victim 
I have to see myself and figure out who I am and own my past so that I can move forward and be the best person I can be. And my whole mission is to do just that and inspire others to do the same. Because at the end of the day, no matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, who's done what to us first, we are all human and we all deserve to be treated as such. And I want to help change the narrative around the way people automatically judge people with a criminal background, automatically judge people who have suffered with addiction, automatically people with mental illnesses. It's not okay because we all make mistakes. Every single one of us, no one is innocent. Exactly. (laughs) And I totally agree with you on that because that's one of the biggest challenges that as we've been going through this journey as a family and, you know, going through it as a couple and, you know, learning how to listen to each other and talk about, you know, Andy's charges. I mean, his, his charges for a lot of people, it's automatic. Cause right now, if you have a drug charge, people are more sympathetic. But if you have a charge that has to deal with children in any capacity, downloading pictures, it's an automatic, uh, they shut out instead of listening, instead of trying to understand where some of these people come from. Yeah, I tell a lot of people, 75% of people that are incarcerated are incarcerated because they're broken to begin with. Yeah. And how are we going to fix that as a society when we have countries like Norway, Denmark, that actually work on healing the people that are incarcerated instead of just giving them a title and saying, oh, here you go. Hope you have good luck when you get out. Yeah. They don't do that. They actually take the time to give the people that are in their care the tools that they need to fix their lives because people don't end up there unless they're broken. There are very few people that are end up there that are there because they honestly needed to be there. there there's a handful of people that are that way. Yeah. The rest of them that are in there are in there because they're broken. And why is the society that we still subscribe to a medieval way? Because technically this is considered medieval because this is when this was started was during medieval times is taken away everything from a person if they were convicted of a crime. Wow. And we're still perpetuating that in the 2020s. Why are we still doing that as a society? I tell people we're a society of punitive punishment. And I am happy to see when I get to interview people that are breaking those barriers and are getting those second chances that are really needed because I currently work for a company that is a really large company. And when you're a really large company, sometimes you don't have the avenue to take on a risk is what I was told. They can't take that risk. And I'm going like, all of these people want to do is to put their lives back together, but we make it extremely hard for them to do that. Yeah, that's very true. I, yeah, like it's 
when it comes to employment after incarceration, that's one of the hardest things. And on top of that, I mean, if you're poor, but you have a criminal record, you can't even get like, you can't even live in the projects. Like you are like, you just what? So everyone who's can, uh, has committed a crime and got caught and spent time in jail, all of a sudden we're not worthy. Like yeah. that is heart wrenching. That's like when I said earlier about looking for jobs, like if they ask if I have a criminal record, I won't even apply. So I'm not when there's there, you know, there's so many places that literally like I remember when I was looking for a job during the same time frame of after my final rock bottom, it was for uh, some sort of law firm, but um, they were like, oh, yeah, we like you. Like we, they offered me the job, <clears throat> excuse me, and ran a background check that was supposed to be anything uh, was I convicted of anything in 10 years, which I could check now because it was longer than 10 years. Well, they found it and rescinded their job offer. And you want to talk about being embarrassed, crushed, feeling like you're just a piece of shit. Sorry for lack of a better word. That's, yeah. That is what that felt like. And it's not okay because I was very capable and still am capable of doing that job, you know, and I think that, you know, it is more corporate that I see that in, you know, small businesses um, aren't as bad, but once you're tarnished and you feel like you're not good enough, you're not even going to ask to work anywhere that's not McDonald's, right? Because you're going to feel yeah. like that's all you're worth. And it's really sad. And I wish that part of my mission too is to change that because I want the world to see that people with criminal records, like you said, we're not bad people. We just made a mistake. We were surviving the only way we knew how, or, you know, we were so broken that we just didn't know what else to do to feel okay. Yeah, so. exactly. And I love to hear success stories for that reason, because when you talk about feeling worthless and especially as a, as a child, there's one of the things that I talk about a lot, which is breaking generational patterns. Mm -hmm. And you are breaking that generational pattern. You're showing, even though your children may not be with you, you're still breaking that pattern for them. They're not going to have to go down that same road that you went down because they know their worth. And I hope that they get to see you and get to see you speak, get to listen to your podcast, because I think it's important that as our kids are growing up that they understand that their mom was more than just a person that made a bad decision, that their mom was a person that overcame so many obstacles that was able to create a legacy and leave a legacy. And when I say that, I'm not talking about monetary legacy. I think a lot of people, when they hear that, that's the first thing they think about. What I'm yeah. talking about is leaving that legacy of truth and that legacy of using your voice and telling your truth. Yeah. You know, and my kids that I do have, you know, in my custody with my son and my daughter, you know, my whole thing with them is I always tell them I love them. I always have an open floor for them to talk about whatever they need to talk about. You know, I make sure that they know that they're loved, that they're beautiful. Well, my son, you know, he's handsome, you know, um, and I, I make sure to have fun with them and include them and not 
make them feel like I'm emotionally unavailable to them because I know what that feels like. And I refuse to, you know, and my kids are going to make mistakes. Of course, everyone makes mistakes, but I want them to know that I will always be there for them. They can make huge mistakes. You know, if one of them ended up behind bars, I would be there to visit them. I would do what I could, like you said, like maybe no, I won't have the finances to send them as much money as, as I would like to, but they'll have their needs met and they will never feel alone. Like that's, that's it. So, yeah. And that's one of the things as we go along this journey, and that's one reason why I'm using my voice and I'm so happy that you're using yours. Because there's 2.3 people right now that are currently incarcerated. And that number is growing. In the 70s, it was 350,000 people that were incarcerated. We've went from 350,000 people to 2.3 million. We have a broken system. We have a system that is more about creating a pipeline to keep those prisons full instead of fixing people, instead of helping people. And I think it's people like us that need to, as we talk to our guests and as we get people out there and as we get those voices heard, that we get people to understand that we are human and we deserve a second chance. And if you would give people that second chance, that... I think what really irritates me the most is when I see where our country is going and everybody's talking about the great resignation. And I was going like, you have so many people out there that have backgrounds that could probably turn your companies around if you just hired them. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. (laughs) And to see people going like, okay, you don't want to hire me. Well, fine. I'll start my own business. And they're successful people. Mm-hmm. One yeah. of the people, one of the moms that I got to talk with is Tasha Mills. I was actually part of one of her documentaries. They're working on a documentary, her documentary series called Unheard Voices. And oh, it's wow. about moms that don't have a voice. And to see her take on people that were currently incarcerated that are her video editing people, her photographers. Her son is the photographer and videographer for a lot of things. And she currently has a son that's currently incarcerated in Texas. And for those of you that don't know who she is, her name is Tasha Mills. And she wrote a book called Mama, I Should Have Listened. Powerful, powerful, powerful book. And yeah, and it's one of those things that as I get to connect with these other moms and other people that have been incarcerated and to see the success that they're having, what they're making out of what turned was a bad thing and turning it into something good and not letting the system break them is applaudable because that's one of the things that as we keep talking about it now more than ever is the time to talk about justice reform, talk about restorative reform and to really get the voices out here to get people to understand that just because you made a bad decision about taking drugs, because 
the only reason you did that is because you were broken. You didn't feel like that you were loved as a little girl. And it took years to undo that damage. And it still takes a long time to undo that damage. That damage is not undone in a year in prison. It's really not. No, it's, it's, it's still, it's still a, uh, I, I mean, I'm in therapy now because I'm struggling, you know, it's not like I, like I'm doing a lot better, thankfully. Um, but it's still hard. I still have that shame because I still feel judged because people, you know, they hear I have a criminal record. They don't even care what I did. Like my charges, you know, I got in trouble for a robbery. I got convicted of conspiracy and you know, people hear that and they, they change their whole vibe. It's like, you can feel, you can feel it. So for me, that's still hard. Like I, I want to work in an organization that helps the incarcerated. That's my dream. My dream is to be like a mentor for the incarcerated and also to help those getting out to be able to find work or if they want to go into entrepreneurship, like help them navigate through that, make sure they have health insurance, make sure they have a roof over their head, you know, all these things that we, I feel like there are organizations out there, but they're not everywhere, you know, and where I live, there aren't many. (laughs) So, you know, and, and that's the problem. Like, yeah, you know, some prisons have excellent programs and help rehabilitate, but it's not across the board and it needs to be across the board. You know, you shouldn't have to get lucky to get to the right prison to have the right resources. It should just be there for everyone. Um, But anyways, like that's, you know, that's my dream, but there's a part of me that feels like, oh, well, I don't know, because if I apply, they're going to ask and then I'm going to get, you know, this, it's this whole, it's this vicious circle in your mind. Like once you have that label, it's really hard to break the cycle, but I'm really determined to break it. So it's going to happen. <laughs> and that's why I it keep is. using my voice. So It is. And, you, and you're on your way to breaking it. I think you already are breaking it, to be honest. <laughs> and that is something that as people that have either have family that are on the inside or have had family that are on the inside to be able to take that and run with it and to see the strength that it takes to overcome so many things. And it does take many, many years of talking to people and speaking your truth for people really to understand because, yes, we make bad choices. Some of us get caught. Mm-hmm. That's what I tell a lot of people. I'm going like, those of you that are having a field day making fun of these youngsters on making bad decisions and posting it on social media, you better be glad social media was not around <laughs> right? <laughs> when we were their age. Because we done some dumb stuff. Some really, yeah. really dumb stuff. And a lot of that dumb stuff could have landed us in prison. Mm-hmm. One of the ladies that I that I talk with, she's going like, you know, most people don't realize how much you are one decision away from being put in prison. Yep. One decision. And that resonated. Yeah, one, one decision. decision. Because that's what happened to me. My decision was I can't lose my best friend, so... I'm just going to get in this car and go do what we set out to do. I didn't have to make that choice, but that was the choice I made. And here we are, 
you know? <laughs> so that was the path I had to take, unfortunately, yeah. you know? Yeah. So. And I believe that the path that you did take is going to end up helping people. And hopefully it helps to the point to where they don't go down that same path that you went down. Yeah. Yeah. That's another mission of mine too. Like I have so many missions. Um, like I want to speak to college age kids. I like to call them kids because let's face it, kids, people in college are kids. I'm sorry. Not sorry. Um, but because that's where my darkness really set in. And I know that there's so many kids who are in college who may be feeling alone and my voice I want them to hear what I went through and they, maybe that'll be like, Oh, I don't have to go down this path. You mean like, I'm not alone. Like feeling this way is okay. And just, that's a huge part of what I want to do too, is prevent it too, like help those who have already experienced it and prevent it from happening to so many others who are feeling lost and broken because it's very easy to fall into that trap, so to speak. Yeah, it is. So as we get ready to wrap up, I always ask my guests, what is one last nugget that you can impart? So I will say what I always say because it's like, there's nothing better, but you know, remember that you're stronger than you think you are. I don't care what you've been through. You can have the life you imagine. You're worth it. You are an amazing human and you were put here to do amazing things. Don't give up on yourself. Yeah. hundred percent agree with that. And as always, even though I use the same sign off on my other podcast, I still love using it because it's applicable. So whether y'all know it or not, whether you believe it or not, you're unstoppable. You are loved and you are the beacon of hope. Amanda, this has been freaking awesome. And I would love to have you back on. Anytime, Don. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to the podcast. To help us grow, please leave a review on Apple iTunes or wherever you listen to the podcast. You can also find us on Facebook. And remember, you are not alone on this broken path and you are supported animal.